from the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch. This is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every Thursday. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Ryan Smith, Features Editor at the Dispatch, and today we have a real treat. We're going to get two Dispatch columnists for the price of one on this podcast, Metro columnist Ted Decker and Features icon, that's right, you heard me, icon, Joe Blundo. But before I tell you why, a little bit more about what else you have to look forward to in the coming days. Let's start with another big name, Hodor. I mean, Christian Nairn, who played Hodor on Game of Thrones. He will be at Park Street Cantina tonight for an event called Rave of Thrones, where he'll actually be the DJ, spinning house and electronic dance music. The fun starts at 9. There's also the closing show for Ballet Met's season by Liang. The performances, which start Friday, feature three works by the troupe's artistic director, Edward Liang, and will take place at the Rife Center. But back to Joe and Ted. We've asked them to have an excellent adventure in anticipation of an event tonight at Gramercy Books in Bexley, where Joe will appear to talk about his latest book. Does that make sense? That's the name of the book, not a question I'm asking you. It's a collection of his dispatch columns, and they'll talk about the book and the art of column writing. Take it away, guys. So, Joe, this is your second book, I believe. Why don't you talk a little bit about your first book and what this new book covers, and we'll go from there. Sure. So, I became a columnist in 1997. So I've been doing the columns since then, so it's 22 years. The first book was a collection of columns from the first roughly seven or eight years. So between 97 and about 2005 or so. And so, you know, I went, I combed through all the columns and picked out the ones I liked and read some that I'd forgotten I wrote and, you know, put them into the book. And then about a year and a half ago, OSU Press asked me if I'd be interested in in doing another one. And so, again, I went through that process of going through all my columns. And, you know, so that's more than 10 years, what, 12 years worth of columns, 13 years worth of columns. And again, there's some I'd forgotten I'd written. And it was interesting to go back and read them. And I picked out 60 to 70, and they're in this new book, which is called Does That Make Sense? And the reason it's called that is because Sometimes that's the question I ask myself as I'm trying to write these columns, especially if it's an, you know, just a straight opinion piece. Am I making any sense here? You know, And it's sort of the question I'm asking the readers, too. Does this make sense? So you have since 97, and you, have you been writing three times a week yes. since the beginning? Right. So we're talking a whole heck of a lot of columns. A heck of a lot of columns, uh, probably close to 3,000. Okay. Uh, don't make me do math, but I think it's close to 3,000. So do you have, out of that, out of this, let's stick with the new book, out of this new batch, this more recent batch of columns, you picked 60 or 70 that caught your eye and went from there. Do you have favorites from that point down? Like, is there one column in here where you really think this worked? Yeah, there's a few that come to mind. And one is the uh, profile I did on Amina Robinson, the artist who died not too long after I, I wrote about her, actually. But, you know, she was a renowned folk artist, very well known in Columbus, and what I was told is that she didn't let anybody into her house. She lived in this very modest house on the east side. But she let me in. She let me come and see her house. And it was just absolutely fascinating because a lot of what she did was with found objects, you know, buttons and bottle caps, and things she found. Her neighbors would throw stuff over her fence for her because they knew what, what she liked and she'd incorporate this into sculptures and things. And she had this thing in her living room. This She called them Raganons, which Raganon is 
it's like a scroll that goes on and on and on. And it's something she started working on, I think, in the late 50s. It was, she didn't even know how long it was, but it was gigantic. And it just went on and on and on. And it was, you know, drawings, paintings, you know, it'd be like rivers of buttons going through it. And it was all about her heritage, her family, you know, her background. So that was interesting to see. And then her kitchen had this huge sculpture of, again, found objects, pieces of wood and bottles and bottle caps. And you you could not walk through the kitchen straight through. You had to like go around the perimeter of it because it was so huge with all this stuff. So it was really fascinating to see see how she lived, and it was like the house itself was a work of art. And then again, she didn't live much long much after that. She died, I think she was only 75 when she died, so that's one that always comes to mind. What was the, I want to say trick, but you mentioned she didn't, you had heard she didn't let people in her house it, as a matter of practice. Was there something you said that got yourself in the door, or was it, did she know you ahead of time? Or She knew my column. She read my column, and I guess she liked it. And then one of our editors at the time, Nancy Gilson, she was going to have an, an exhibit at a, at a gallery in Bexley, and Nancy Gilson knew the owner of the of the gallery so we kind of went through her and amina said yes you can you can come and see my house that's how it happened do you know what transpired to all the stuff in the house i imagine it landed somewhere but the columbus museum of art i think is doing something with it but i don't know what exactly but they have plans for the stuff in the house and maybe for the house itself so have you noticed changes in your approach to columns or what you thinker columns as time has gone on like was the joe blundo of 97 writing the same types of columns that you are now or to some extent i guess in that uh, i still kind of think in categories like you know you can write about your family a few times not too often you can write about you can comment on the news you can be irreverent about something that everybody else is reverent about and that of course it means buckeye football in, in columbus or you know that kind of stuff some things that struck me funny when I started, I've kind of gotten away from one, one is Buckeye football humor. I just felt like at some point, I'm not sure what else I can say about this. It's such a phenomenon. I still don't understand it, but what more can I say about it? You know, so I've, I've kind of drifted away from that a little bit. And that's one example. Another one is, you know, when I started, Columbus just struck me as a lot less sophisticated, a lot more conservative than it is now. And so it was it was easier to stereotype it at the beginning, you know, twenty two years ago, whatever that was. It's changed a lot, I think. And it's it's harder for me to paint it as any one thing now. You know, just look at the culinary scene, all these ethnic restaurants and you know, all, all the urban revitalization, everything's going on. It kind of like doesn't fit the old mold anymore. So it's a little harder. Now in some ways it does. It's still kind of a polite town, you know, kind of a a polite town and Midwestern, you know, people are a little bit reticent to talk too much about themselves. And it still strikes me that way. And we do have this kind of tendency to get panicky about the weather. That has never changed. You know how it is when it snows in Columbus. <laughs> that has never changed. So there are a few things. But Do you have, like you mentioned, the Amina Robinson column, do you find yourself more frequently liking a certain type of column like a profile or maybe a, something built off the news well, or the personal stuff i love to write about people who are passionate about something that's what made amina robinson a good because she was so passionate about her art and so i look for people like that you know I, and i've often said it, it doesn't matter what they're passionate about it can be a job a hobby a cause collectors for example i love to profile collectors because they're so into what they collect that they like don't have a filter you know they'll tell you anything so i did one once on a guy who 
it's not actually in the book, but he collect he collected used lottery tickets, believe it or not. <laughs> there are clubs of people who collect used lottery tickets, and he had like a million of them in his basement from all the states that had lotteries at the time, you know. So I love people like that. I love the guy called me one time and said, I have kept a stick from every popsicle I've eaten since I was 12 years old. He was in his late 50s, you know, by then. So he had, I went to his house, he had hundreds of popsicle sticks. And uh-huh. millions of ants, maybe. And, uh, yeah, probably. Actually, I thought he'd have more <laughs> sticks than he did. So, you know, Julie Zikafus is, she's a natural and yep. a, uh, an artist and, and a bird watching enthusiast and again just extremely passionate about what she does and i went down to her homestead outside of marietta she lived on like 80 acres and she had a bird watching tower attached to her house it almost looked like a church because it was like this steeple thing that rose up next to her house and she'd go up there and just uh, we stood up there and she pointed out all these birds and she could of course name every bird she saw and identify them by their calls and everything and uh, people like that just really fascinate me. So I love people who are passionate about things. That's one of my favorite things to write about. The other thing I like to do, local humor, humor based on what's going on here, because you, you can't read that anywhere else, right? No, there's no nobody else anywhere is going to write funny stuff about Columbus. So when I can do that, I'll, I like to do it. So and then some topics pop up again, the state fair, for example, always amuses me and Buckeye football, as I mentioned, and you know how people drive and how they behave and those sorts of things. Have you found, and I know we've talked about some of this before, but that the favorite columns of your loyal readers differ from the ones maybe that you think were really fun to report and write? Are you surprised, I guess, by the feedback you get from readers on columns? Or Sometimes I am. Some of the ones that tickle me, I don't necessarily hear a lot from readers about. But then you, you really don't ever know either. Sometimes a year later, somebody will write to you and tell you, about some impact that something you wrote had and you and you thought well so i wrote that column i never heard anything it's you know nobody it just didn't connect with anybody but then you hear a year later that somehow it touched somebody's life in in some way or other and then it kind of changes your perception of what's successful and what's not so really what i've what i've learned to do is not not put too much stock on the feedback i get just write what interests me and kind of trust that there's an audience out there that will read it and appreciate it even if I don't necessarily hear anything from them. So You had mentioned, I th- and I'm pretty sure it's in this book, that one of your most columns that was received some of the most amazing feedback, I guess, in, as far as quantity and quality goes, is the loss of your dog. Am yes, I correct? And- that's right. Our dog, Mickey the Poodle, had to have her put to sleep. You know how awful that is. She was 14. Various health problems. And so I did a column on it. And part of the column was that my daughter, who was... 17 or 18 at the time she'd grown up with the dog you know so it was kind of her call you know she said look we can't leave this dog to suffer anymore you know we were we were doing whatever we could you know to help the dog and she's the one who said you know we can't let this dog live like this any longer so i wrote about it was kind of like a transition for both the dog obviously leaving us and my daughter growing into adulthood you know yes and i got tremendous feedback about that i got sympathy cards I got oh just just a lot of email, a lot of mail, and so and I, I guess it's because many many people have had the experience, you know, and so they just they connected with it, you know, in, in some way. That, that, you know, the funny thing about doing a column, and maybe you found this too, is you if you write about your family and it's something that you have in common with other people, you'll often hear more about those columns than you will about something that you spent days researching and you know investigating, and, you know, some public issue or something. But people sometimes just connect more with the with the personal stuff. The family stuff yeah and that's i have found that where 
the personal ones I often think of as like a, it's a personal defeat for me that I had to go to my family when I should have had, you know, a column knocking the administration on development or something along those lines. And inevitably, I am surprised that I get a lot of feedback from people who do connect with the personal stuff. And yet I can't get over that hump sometimes that I don't want to go there too often because it's not about me, you know, that, and that's a tough balance, I know. So, yeah, I think that's the reporter in us. You know, if you get, we both came up as reporters and it's sometimes it's hard to lose that i had to learn to to not think that way too much because you know the evidence is there people like to read about your life but i mean you just have to make it something that they can identify with i think and if you can do that then you know it works and you actually talk about it in the intro to your book the change from becoming a columnist from a reporter and the you talk about it as learning to swim with both arms i think is how you put it yeah it's exactly how it felt it was like yeah i've been swimming with one arm all yeah i mean being able to use the word i you know which it's again it takes a little getting used to because you never do that as a reporter but all of a sudden you can use the word i you can say i think and you can say what you think it's an amazingly freeing thing and a little scary, you know, because you quickly learned that everybody doesn't think the way you do and they're not going to necessarily agree with what you said. But, yeah, it was uh, it was an amazing feeling to realize I have the freedom to do this now whenever I see fit. So how do you deal with you cover a lot of topics, obviously, in your column, but you have touched on politics and the current administration. And how do you deal with hate mail if you get it or people who are angrily it's such a polarized world these days it seems i get some i guess you call it hate mail email but most of it's email now but i always thank them for reading one thing and you know i usually end up if we're obviously just put the polar opposite opinions what can you say except you know thanks for reading and i know we're not going to agree on this but that's america right and we just have to leave it at that i do find that if i even for somebody who sends in a nasty email if i answer it and i don't answer it in the same tone as they sent that original email i'll often get a second one and it'll be much nicer and i still remember that i think i wrote something about trump that was satirical and critical and uh and so i got an email from someone who took great issue with that and then uh so i wrote back and i said you know thanks for reading i know we're not going to agree with this but agree agree with each other on this but i appreciate you at least giving me the you know the courtesy of reading and and i got a second email and and it began i like you a lot better today than i did yesterday That could be the title of your next book. Exactly. Right. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a good title, actually. <laughs> so talk a little bit, I guess, a little bit more about that. There is a, as a reporter, I guess I didn't fully appreciate the depth of a community's connection with its newspaper. It becomes much clearer when you're a columnist that there are people who do very loyally read us and sometimes we infuriate them but it's kind of neat to see and i know you've been i've been at at least one event where you were kind of like a rock star and i mean people were lining up to talk to you and getting you know their one of i think your first book signed you had there talk a little bit about that as far as what it means we hear a lot about newspapers you know going south and being in trouble and disappearing and all those bad things but there's clearly a still a bond or connection with the community and personally with you clearly but yeah and with you too no doubt because after you do this for a while people start to think they know you and and in a way they do know you and i'm always amazed at the, at the depth of the connection and, and how closely people read people will remember things that i wrote that i actually don't remember i have to go back and look it up because i don't remember that i wrote it, but they remember it and they people will send me ideas that kind of perfectly suit what i do because they've been reading so long they they recognize 
you know, what, what it is that I like and what will get my attention. And so they'll send me those, you know, very appropriate ideas, which I appreciate because I need ideas always. So, yeah, it is a little difficult to start into a column where you're expressing some strong opinion on something, knowing that you're going to disappoint some of that audience. You can't let that stop you, and I don't. But I do know that, you know, it's very possible that you're going to lose some readers because you're saying things that they don't agree with. You know, you, you just have to do it anyway. And one thing I... I give speeches now and then, and when I do, I always say one of the things I've learned as a columnist is that a lot of people don't really understand what a columnist's job is. So, I mean, it's obvious to us that our job is to express opinion. But when you get an email from somebody saying, well, that column was biased, then you know that they don't really quite get the fact that, yes, it's biased. It's By definition, it's biased. It's supposed to be your opinion. And so, you know, I get a lot of email like, well, why didn't you ever satirize Hillary Clinton like this? And, and you know, basically what they're asking me is, why aren't you expressing my opinion instead of your opinion? But I, I try to explain to people what my job is. And I don't know how much, how much of an impression I leave on them or not, but I try. Do you, and I think you talk about this again at the beginning of the book, but do you find yourself more in a position of having too few ideas for columns or too many? Is it more a problem of a glut? of things happening and since we're in the daily news business timing is part of it so there might be days where you you know column that might be great today would land flat next week but do you find yourself more often scavenging for ideas or are there too many to get to or well there's always ideas because you know it's a big crazy world i've said you know sometimes i go to bed at night just securing the knowledge that when i wake up the next day something absurd will have happened and i'll, and I'll write about it it's more a case of I don't always have an idea that I'm really, real excited about. I mean, I'll have ideas, but I'm not, I'm not thrilled by them. And so sometimes I'll throw them, throw this one out, throw that one out, throw, kind of go through them until I hit on one that excites me or I'll, I'll go and search on one that excites me. But, you know, I feel like there's always something that I can write about. And then, you know, the timing, is, as you say, it can be an issue, especially writing for the feature section, because we do write between two and four days ahead of time, roughly. That varies a little bit, but it's something like that. So you have to kind of think, you know, how on a Monday, how big of a deal is this going to be in Thursday's column? You know, it's a big deal right now, but is, is it going to have been supplanted by two or three other things by the time Thursday rolls around? So sometimes what seems like a hot idea by the time it gets in print doesn't seem quite so hot. It seems a little dated, so that, that can be a tricky issue. Some weeks I find myself with more things to write about than I really have columns to put them in. And, and that's more a case of, you know, when I'm doing, say I'm doing something that's time to an event that's coming up, or uh, I've got a couple profiles and they're, they're time sensitive in some way. You know, I want to get them both in and I'm trying to juggle and figure out how to make that work. So, but generally I find there's a wealth of ideas out there. I do like when readers send me ideas though. I don't, I can't do them all. Maybe I can do half of them, but the ideas readers send are good ideas for the most part. And I, and I try to respond to them when I can. That's what I was going to follow up with that. Do you, because I, I do as well get ideas that maybe timing wise, you know, it would have been something that worked better a month earlier and I'll try to squirrel it away and make a note for maybe next year if it's tied to a date or, or what have you. Do you, because it is a great thing to get those unsolicited suggestions, do you try to let them know, yes, it's something I think I'm going to do or are there too many of them? That It sounds like you try to engage pretty actively with with readers when they're writing in so maybe you're letting them know that like hey sounds great i'm not sure i'll get to it or how does that relationship work i usually try to give them some idea that either yeah i think i want to i'm going to try to look into this or it's too late for this year but maybe next year i can you know someone gave me an idea about sandra quick who does these historic reenactments at the state house 
during Black History Month, which is February. And so it was a year ago, February, that I got the idea. Someone sent me the idea, and I couldn't get to it, but I didn't forget it. And this year I looked her up and went to one of her performances, which was well worth the time and, and made a good column. So I like I never throw one away, you know. I I try to write it down somewhere and, and remember that maybe ne- if, even if I can't get to it this year, I will the next year. So do you think there's a book three? A book three? I don't know. A trilogy? <laughs> a trilogy? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That would mean I'd have to write another. Let's see. To get fifty good columns, maybe I have to write five thousand. I don't know if I'm up to that. <laughs> it's been a long time. Been a long career. All right. Well, third book or not, it's been cool talking to you, Joe. I know you have wealth of information for me personally, and I know you have a pretty strong following. So good luck with the book. Well, thank you. Thanks for giving me a chance to talk about it. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614.